King's Kids. If you're on down, you may be dismissed to King's Kids. Junior Church is ready for you. Well, even if they're not, here you come. Yeah, they're never ready. Get them. Hey, wait a minute. That's not what you said earlier, Grandma. You just said walk. I heard you earlier. You said run. I didn't. She was. <laughs> You're thinking, be speedy. Whatever you do, get on it. All right. I need another cold turkey volunteer this morning. <clears throat> Let me. <laughs> Who raised. Well, he doesn't even know what he's volunteering for. I, I can't. Yeah, well, yeah, you are the cold turkey. This is for sure. I need somebody to read scripture this morning. It's going to be from, uh, let, me, let me announce it first. And you find it first before you volunteer to do it first. You need to be able, you can find this book in the Bible. 1 Kings chapter 2, just four verses. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I'll clear the podium. Wait for you. It's a race. First Kings two. <laughs> I was really worried I was about to get Eric, so thanks for saving me. He'd have been up here barefoot and looking all oaky on us. All right, so there we go. Got to adjust that adjustable microphone. What verses? First uh, Kings, chapter two. Verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. So let's get our... One. Oh, yeah. Just stop stop when you get to All right. right there. Okay. All right. Follow this young man as he reads. When the time drew near for, David's, for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong. Act like, the, act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him, and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart, and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Excellent work. Good job, Ethan. So 1 Kings chapter 2, do you notice how that started? David is about to die. And he basically tells his son, who's going to be the king, act like a man. I like that. That's a, that's a good charge. That's a good charge from... Uh, not just from a, a man to his son, but from one king to another. And that's how you need to see this. I don't think David has a deep relationship with Solomon. He's not been the greatest dad. But he has been the king. And he understands how important the next king is going to be for all of nation of Israel and for God's plans. And so he says, man up. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. This morning we're looking at three warnings that Solomon ignores. Three warnings that Solomon doesn't pay attention to. Three warnings that really 
would have changed the trajectory of his life if he had followed them. And if you cheated and looked ahead in your outline, you, you know kind of where we are going, but I want to I put a different spin on it. It wasn't just that he got one warning of avoiding three things. He got three entirely separate warnings. Write this down. He gets a warning from David. If he'd read the Old Testament, he has a clear warning from Moses. And two times in his life, God speaks to him personally and gives him warnings. That's a pretty heavy lineup. If these are the only people that have ever spoken into Solomon's life, um, that's enough. It's good. So that's how I've divided up your outline today, these three warnings. So the first one is from David. And it comes in the speech that we just read. David charges Solomon. He says, walk in the Lord's ways. Keep the Lord's statutes. Keep his commandments. Keep his rule. Keep his testimonies. Keep his law. How many different ways can he say the same thing? A lot. Go to Psalm 119 and be thankful. Here, David was brief. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and every verse of that chapter of the Bible, David refers to God's laws, God's testimonies, God's commandments over and over and over again. Why is that important? David says to Solomon, so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. And in verse 4 of 1 Kings 2, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me. If you want to write it to the side there, I think I put it in your notes, 2 Samuel 7.16. In 2 Samuel 7.16, God comes directly to David and chooses David to be the king and David's line after him. There's going to be a king from David who's going to have an eternal throne. God says to David, your house and your kingdom shall be made forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's echoing in David's mind as he's about to die. I'm going to have somebody from my family rule and reign forever. I sure hope it's Solomon. And so he charges Solomon, walk in the testimonies, rules, decrees, commandments, laws of the Lord. Keep this thing rolling, son. We've got, it's a sure bet. If you'll do your part, God is going to do his part. Come on, man up, do this. Okay, that wasn't his only warning from his dying dad. You, you can get a little emotional at that kind of a moment. You can get a little stirred, but then, you know, when that person passes away and you have the funeral and there's closure and there's resolution, it's easy to forget the things you said or heard on a deathbed because they just get caught up in an event and they don't extrapolate out and become something you live by. 
pretty common. We've had a lot of funerals here. Had a lot of weeping people. A lot of people making decisions. Yeah. How's that look a month, a year, a decade later? We forget and we move on. Solomon forgets and moves on. But he had another warning. If he had paid attention to the written down word of God that he had access to, he had a warning from Moses. So number two, write that down. From Moses. This came 300 years before they even had a king. You talk about foresight. God knows what's going to happen. He has Moses write this down. And it's from Deuteronomy 17. I'm going to turn back to Deuteronomy 17 for just a second. There's a lot of stuff going on in Deuteronomy. So in your, your basic Bible reading, it, I could understand how you would read through this in about 20 seconds and move on and forget about it, that it's there, because obviously Solomon did too. And Deuteronomy 17, verse 14, listen to this. Moses says, When you come to the land that the Lord God is giving you and you possess it, you dwell in the land, and then you, you're going to say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said, you shall never return to Egypt that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, the king shall write for himself a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And that king will keep that copy with him and shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his law and his statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that the king may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left that the king may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children and Israel. David, Solomon, forgot. What are the commands here? First command is no foreigners. Say no to foreigners as kings. Now, this is not a racial statement. This is a faith statement. The Israelites are the only nation that has Yahweh as their God. You must pick somebody to be of the faith to be your king. So that makes sense. He must not have many horses. Horses. This references military power. And he says, especially don't go to Egypt to get your horses. 
don't, get, don't pile up many horses, especially Egyptian horses. I don't know what's particularly wrong with them. I don't think there's anything wrong with the horses themselves. It's the idea of going back to Egypt, the place God delivered you from. Stop leaning on other nations. He's your God. He's your warrior. He's never lost a battle. If you're on God's side, you are always going to win. Don't let your kings go haywire and trust in their military power. Another thing, don't have many wives. This is going to refer to sexual perversion. He shall not acquire many wives for himself. Why? It's not about the wives. The next phrase is, lest his heart turn away. It's not about the women. They're not evil. It's the king that's evil. Can't blame the women. Can't blame them. They didn't. I don't care. It's not their fault. It's the king's fault. His heart that he gives away. It's his power. His power to choose. And then the next one, say no to wealth, extravagant wealth, much wealth, piling up silver and gold. That is materialism. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Ouch. That's not the end of the list. I kept reading. Verses 18 through 20. Write this down too. The king is to be a Bible nerd. (laughs) He's supposed to hand copy his own version of at least the first five books of the law. Well, that's going to take a long time. That's going to be so hard. You're the king. Get a grip. If God gives you something to do to be the king, do it. And we have no record of Solomon doing that. I would argue David's psalms, his familiarity with the law, and his love for the law that he expresses in the psalms shows me he probably did that. How else could somebody fall in love with God through his written word? David is in love with God and he expresses his love for God's law. I think he did it. I think he did that. I think he had his own copy pouring over, that he's pouring over as he's writing those psalms. It becomes just the seedbed of so much of his artistic expression. Sounds to me like David did it. Sounds to me like Solomon didn't. And and let's reflect on that Bible nerd part. Do we remember how God wants us to draw near to Him? Through His communication. God communicates with us. We read that word and we communicate. But if we know God's word, is that enough? No! It's not, God doesn't just intend for you to know His word. We're supposed to use His word to then become a people who pray, who meditate, and who worship Him. That's communion a people who specifically spend time with God because God's law, God's words, have told us how good He is. We want that God. When we read these stories and see His power and His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness, it's not enough to know He's a good God. 
This is designed for us to read. He communicates that he's good. So we want him and we will pray and we will commune with him. He wants us to spend time with him. He wants us to draw near to him. And if we will do that, he says he will draw near to us. And we can live our lives in a state of union. Every time David goes to battle and wins a victory, it's because he's living in union with God and walking by the power of God's Spirit. It's not just because he got a word from God. These, this did not give him victory in battles. God did. David would dwell on God's Word, write about God's Word, sing God's Word, and then he would spend time with God, and then he would live all of his life with God until he sinned. And then he repents. Then he remembers who God is. Then he comes back. Remember that? Remember that loop of wisdom of how we live our lives? We're high times with God and then we sin. We have low times away from God. Read the Psalms. David does it like, like he's dizzy from doing it. David gets, it's a, so are you. From day to day, moment by moment. It pays to be a Bible nerd. Read the word. But don't stop there. Pray it. Spend time with God. That's what it's for. Solomon misses the point. He misses a warning from David. He misses a warning from Moses. If that wasn't bad enough, he misses warnings from God. You might even put down in that line, from God himself. Write that down in the next blank. From God himself. In 1 Kings 9, 6, 1 Kings 9, 6, listen to what God says. 1 Kings 9, 6. God says to Solomon, says directly to Solomon, if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and you do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I've set before you, but you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cast off all of Israel from the land that I have given them. Oh, wait, that's not fair. That's not fair. We didn't do it. It was the king's fault. <laughs> Samuel from his grave would say, I told you not to ask for a king, you fools. As so goes the king, so goes the people. It's part of having a king. You're going to suffer the consequences. Now, that doesn't mean if the king sins, everybody goes to hell. That's, he's not talking about their personal stature before God as God's people. He's talking about the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of dwelling in the land. If your king doesn't worship me, you're out. Ouch. That's what it means to have a king. Should have thought that through, huh? Yeah. Those are big words. I will cast them out of my sight. Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house, Solomon just finished building his own house, and he built the Lord a house, the first temple building. This, God says, this house will become a heap of ruins. Everybody passing by will be astonished and will hiss. <laughs> That's crazy. Gonna, you're going to see what God does and go, whoo, whoo, whoo and whistle. It's, it's going to, 
You won't have words. That's what it means to hiss at something. It's so bad. All you can do is make sound. They will be astonished. And they will say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God. Holy moly. God, this is a beautiful prayer. Solomon's asked for wisdom. Give me understanding to rule this great people. God says, I'm going to give you the understanding. The Lord is pleased with Solomon. And God says, now, now time out here, Junior. If you and your sons don't worship me as God, in fact, if you worship other gods, you're toast. I'm a jealous God. You worship the Lord God only. Him only shall you serve. Have you forgot the first commandment? Basically, God just goes to the first commandment. He doesn't need to, need to recite the other nine. If you mess with me, I'm going to show you who's boss. Just because you're the king, don't get a big head. Does a king need to hear that? Yeah. This is, this is, this is encouraging. God cares about these people. He cares enough to warn them. He doesn't just go silent, let Solomon do whatever he wants. But how does Solomon respond? Here are the next several blanks. Solomon responds by hoarding up extensive, expensive Egyptian horses. Are you kidding me? 1 Kings 10, 26 says he has 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, and very clearly the Bible says in 1 Kings 10, 28, Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt. <sighs> you ever been in class with that student who just wasn't listening? That's Solomon. He thinks he knows it all. Well, he kind of does now, doesn't he? He does have all wisdom. But he's forgetting God's word. He knows how to be a good businessman, build things, lead. He knows how to be a king. But he doesn't know how to be a king after God's heart. Egyptian horses. Are you kidding me? The next thing he piles up, Toxic, exotic wives. I, would, I, I should add eclectic because <laughs> they're from everywhere and they're snaky. <laughs> Just kind of, oh, I, they're, they're, I, I have fun looking up synonyms. Just like, how can we make this seem just over the top ridiculously bad like that? <laughs> they're leading him astray. 1 Kings 11.1, 1, later into Solomon's life. You remember 1 Kings 9, right? And Solomon loved the Lord. 1 Kings 3, 1 Kings 3. Solomon loved the Lord. 1 Kings 11, Solomon loved many foreign wives. Well, come on, he's the king. You've got to have a couple of ladies on the side. 700 wives. And 300 concubines, which are women that only he can touch. Well, I would never, ladies and gentlemen, 
with the saturation of pornography in our society, every human being has access to more than that. This is not a Solomon problem. This is a human problem. This is not a man problem. This is a human problem. The ability and the access, here's the catch, to whatever you want, whenever you want it. Do we not live in an instant age? (laughs) Don't be looking down on him from your high and lifted up position. We are just as tempted as he is. And they lead. It says in 1 Kings 11.1 that his wives turned away his heart. That's because he gave his heart to his wives. Again, women aren't evil. Don't get that at all. It's because he gave his heart away to them instead of giving his heart to God. Solomon has a choice. And he has many choices throughout the course of his life. And he just keeps, just keeps, just keeps veering off, veering off, veering off. If that wasn't bad enough, horses, wives, he has ludicrous, preposterous degrees of wealth. Wealth. First Kings 10 starts tallying it up. In one year, he brought in 666 talents of gold. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He's making shields that are too big to carry into battle. And who makes a shield out of gold? Well, somebody who's not going to battle. They're just all decorative. He's run out of things to spend money on. And he's just going crazy. He made 300 small shields of beaten gold. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon, so he puts them in his own house. The forest of Lebanon is the phrase for his own house. The king, he also made a great ivory throne, overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps. The throne has a round top. On each side of the seat were armrests and two lions carved out of ivory, dipped in gold. Twelve lions on the steps, one on each side of each step, going down. Every drinking vessel in his house is made from pure gold. All the vessels in the temple are gold. Nothing was made from silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. He even is the only Israelite king to have a fleet, to have a navy. You know why he had a navy? It says in verse 22, to go get more gold. More, you need, more and more and more and more. What happens in the heart of somebody who has everything they want and then some? What happens when you get everything? What could happen? What if your kids get everything they want on their Christmas list? and you have to stop going to visit grandma (laughs) because she bought it for them. What's going to happen if your kids get everything they want? Why would your heart get dark? Consumed with stuff. Yeah. Have you seen the movie (laughs) WALL-E? And the way humans, what humans turn into when you don't have to lift a finger. 
When everything's automated, everything's brought right to you, you never have to do anything. When you get, when life is easy, you lose touch with reality because life is not really easy. You can use your wealth to set it up to be easy, and we are a culture of ease. You know that. And that's a dangerous place to live because in our ease, without struggling for food every day, without struggling for shelter every day, with not being threatened on with war in our backyard, it becomes easy to coast in life. It becomes easy to forget that God is the most important thing. This is why God, through Moses and David, is trying to warn Solomon of this very thing. He becomes the poster boy of failure for you. Not just for kings, for us. When we have instant access to everything, when we go back to, to dig up our old lives, when we use our ease to check out of reality and forget that there are needy people around us, when we forget to pour our lives out, when we forget life is supposed to be about sacrificing, not hoarding, we fail in these same areas. Consequences. In 1 Kings eleven nine. 9, the Bible says the Lord was angry with Solomon. And God gives a specific reason. Because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who'd appeared to him personally twice. God was really patient with Solomon over the horses. God was really patient with Solomon over the excessive wealth and even the way he was mistreating his own people with his building projects. When Solomon turns his heart to his wives and he starts worshiping and sacrificing to their gods, God is done. He's so patient. God is so kind, so patient, so patient, so patient. But he warned him, if you turn away from me and you worship other gods, it's the beginning of the end. And God doesn't even cast them out immediately. God says, for the sake of my servant, not you, Solomon, David. I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you, but give, I'm going to, I'm going to keep some of it for your sons. So even in, even in his harshness, God is really patient. Write this down. Solomon has personal communication from God, but Solomon turns away. Personal communication from God, but Solomon turns away. How common it is for philosophers, atheists, or psychotic dictators to shake their fist and rage against a God they don't believe in. <laughs> That's ironic. Strike me down. If there's a God, I challenge you to strike me down. If you're real, show up. God doesn't listen to you. And how many Christians... How many Christians also expect miracles to change their lives? Solomon, let me ask you, how many times would God talk to you personally? You could hear his voice. You went to bed tonight and God spoke to you in a vision, in a dream like he did to Solomon. How would Monday be different? 
What about Tuesday? How long after God speaks to you will you sin again? Minutes? <laughs> Maybe a week if you're awesome. After, if, I'm, I'm serious here. How long do you think you would go without sinning against God or any other person if God spoke to you? If you had a spiritual experience. I'm grinding this morning against spiritual experiences. Solomon had them, and his heart was far from the Lord. I encourage you, next blank, undervalue spiritual experiences. They can be useful. They can be valuable. I'm not denying they don't happen. But undervalue them. Back up a few slides, bro. Boom, again. Again. Did I miss one? Yeah, go forward one. This is Solomon on the left. All wisdom, all knowledge, all cleverness. But he misses having a heart for God. Do you remember that slide? We did that a few weeks ago. I'm going to change it for this week. Yeah, now go to the next slide. That's the same thing. Solomon has spiritual experiences. He has God talking to him personally. But he doesn't live with God's presence. He doesn't live every moment of every day in front of God, wide open to God. Now the next slide. This is why I encourage you to undervalue spiritual experiences. They are highly overrated. Because you read this book, you're going to see people who walk with God, talk with God, do miracles for God, and then they commit murder. And then they commit adultery. And then they rape somebody. Are you kidding me? You just had an experience with God? Yeah, and you're not any better. You know why? Because spiritual experiences, they do not change you. It's a big, momentous event. And those events can be good. And we can look for those things. I love it when teenagers are moved at camp, when they go forward, when they make a profession of faith, when they surrender to ministry. Those are great things. But we come home. And it's important to serve God and pray to God day after day after day rather than keep looking back in the rearview mirror of an experience. Your experiences are going to let you down because you're going to let yourself down. What we need is God's presence. That is the secret sauce. That is Christian living. Not going from high to low, high to low, always seeking something new, seeking something better. Seek after God. Why is that so important? Because we all have Solomon's potential <laughs> to turn away from God. Think about this. Christian, you are one decision away from casting off God. You are one decision away from casting off God in your life. He will never leave you or forsake you, but you can sure go live like the devil ruin your family, ruin your future, ruin your health, kill yourself. You are one decision away from being like Solomon. One. 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 
How do we respond to that? I, I thought of three different ways you could respond to that. First one is, ha, well, I would never. <laughs> that's like, okay. Um, by the way, if that's your gut response, your arrogance and your pride almost guarantee it. Because you're making it about you. I would not. Um, and if I hear you say that, I'm just going to call you Peter. I would never forsake you. I'm going to go to, we're going to die with you. <laughs> Maybe I'll do that if I hear you get all prideful, right? Uh, did Peter love Jesus? Did he have some great spiritual experiences? We are all one situation away from rejecting him. So don't say, well, I would never. This is a little better. Pastor, pray for me. I, pray for me. That scares me. I do pray for you. Well, my prayers aren't going to save you. Pray for yourself. You spend time with God. Don't put it on me. You spend time with God. That's the solution. Not other people. You're the solution to yourself, to your own problems. Don't look to others to be fixing anything. You get on your knees. You duke it out with God. You cry. You weep. You spend time with God. I can't change you. Man, if I could, I'd break you in a heartbeat. Heartbeat. Because I know we all need it. He put you back together. But you need God to do that. You need His Spirit to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then you need His Spirit to bring all peace. Or maybe this response. If I were to tell you you're one decision away from casting off God, and if you know yourself, and you realize that's really true, it should break you. And that should be your response. Oh, I don't want to lose Jesus. Please. I don't want to lose him. I don't want to miss out. Those are some desperate but precious words. Because the Bible says God is near to the brokenhearted. You don't need to be brokenhearted over everything else. You need to be brokenhearted over yourself. Your inability to do what is right all the time should haunt you. But then you should run to God and reach out to God. From 1 Kings 3, where it says, Solomon loved the Lord, to 1 Kings 11, 1, where it says Solomon's loved many women and his heart turned away from the Lord. I see a battle of loves. A battle of loves. Solomon, what are you going to love? You're, it's not even between loving women, loving wealth, loving horses, right? That's not the battle. The battle is, Solomon, are you going to love God or are you going to love yourself? And he chooses himself many times over. Many, many times over. In my uh, quiet reading this morning, I read Joel chapter 2. I just penciled it into my sermon. Because from Solomon to Joel, a lot happens with Israel. Solomon's sons, David's sons, there's some good ones, there's some bad ones, there are a lot of bad ones. God removes the kingdom. God does what he says he's going to do. He crushes the temple. He sends them into 
captivity in Babylon. God does what he says he's going to do. And in Joel chapter 2, God says, Yet, even now, declares the Lord, all of you sinners, God says, return to me with all your heart. What? That's crazy. These people are terrible. These people are wicked. They keep casting off God. He should cast them off. (laughs) Same for you. Same for you. Same for me. So what does God say? Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your clothes. God doesn't want you to outwardly look like you're pursuing him. He wants your heart. He wants Solomon's heart. David tried to warn him. Moses tried to warn all of the kings, and God himself tried to warn Solomon. Give me your heart. And in all of that, Solomon missed the good life. Here's why he missed the good life. Because he missed God. He missed God. Wait a minute. He had the good life. He had everything he needed. That's not the good life. Unlimited military power. That's not the good life. Unlimited sexuality. That's not the good life. Unlimited wealth. That's not the good life. And through this experience, you need to see. Here's where I'm going. That becomes the background painting for Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. How do we live in a world and not miss God? Solomon's going to write some really cool things down from his experiences. Some of it's going to be really encouraging. Some of it's going to be a total downer. (laughs) He's going to get really depressed sometimes. He should. Look at the way he's crashed and burned his life and the kingdom and God's going to remove it. That should scare him. I think it does scare him. He's going to try to warn his sons. But Solomon misses the good life because he misses God. What about you? What about you? How close are you to God this morning? Are you loving yourself? Are you loving the Lord with all your heart? Are you loving something else, someone else? Is, what is in your mind that's like the goal? Retirement? Certain amount of money? Certain age? Certain number of kids? Certain number of grandkids? Like, What is it for you that is it? And if you get that, you'll feel like I've got the good life. My challenge to you is to wrestle with your heart this week And ask God, do I have enough? Or am I missing you? God, where are you in my life? Ask him that this week. Tell him you don't want to miss him. Tell him you don't want to live without him. Tell him you'd rather lose everything else and not him. Stand with me. Let's pray.
take just a second with your eyes closed and a moment of quiet in your heart and do some business with God. God, do I have enough? God, am I struggling for more? God, who can I help? How can I share? How can I serve? God, where are you in my life? Ask him. Find some time to get alone with God today. It's a beautiful day. Get alone. Find a quiet place. And think deeply whether or not you are missing God. Do you have him? Is he distant? Ask him. Don't ask him for a spiritual experience. Ask him for himself. So that you know that you know. That you are his. And he is yours. And whatever happens... You can sing, it is well. Whatever I gain, I can sing, it is well. And whatever I lose, my heart will sing, it is well. God, you are good. Challenge us this week as we go our separate ways. Uh, God, remind us that having you is having everything. Remind us that knowing you is enough. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up till I lay my I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness. Your voice, you have led me through the fire in darkest nights. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will see of the goodness of God. 
Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Cause all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will of the goodness of God. Yes, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of benediction for today is from 1st Peter 6 verses 15 and 16 he who is blessed he who is the blessed and only sovereign the king of kings and lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion amen Bless you.